Hello, and welcome to On Point, a podcast series of fresh thinking on the topics for corporates and institutions. I'm John Briggs, Global Head of Desk Strategy at NatWest Markets. In this episode of On Point, we're going to discuss what we think the next central bank tapering cycle will look like, how we think it will differ from previous cycles, and what it means for rates, currencies, and growth-linked assets in the UK, Europe, and the US. Hello, everyone. I'm John Briggs, Global Head of Desk Strategy for NatWest. And welcome to this special podcast as we look ahead to the potentially eventful Bank of England meeting and how their actions fit into a larger story of our transition from a period of global central bank policy stability to one where various authorities will be starting to taper asset purchases and remove accommodation at various speeds and to various degrees. In fact, we think this period's already begun to some extent, kicked off in a minor way by the Bank of Canada two weeks ago. But it's the Bank of England that could really bring this increasingly global trend of central bank tapering purchases to the fore. Before I go on, I should introduce our panel podcast for today. Theo Chapsalis, Head of UK Rate Strategy, Paul Robson, Head of G10FX Strategy, and Giles Gale, Head of European Rate Strategy. I'm gonna be playing the role of both host and contributing our views on the US and the Fed. Okay, so given everything I've said about the Bank of England, let's just start right there. Uh, Theo, please go over what we expect from the meeting itself, tapering and any other actions or communications. Yeah, absolutely. So this will definitely be a significant meeting in terms of uh, communication, in terms of implications. Uh, We talk about a meeting where we'll have a decisive action by the Bank of England. We expect the Bank of England to reduce the weekly pace of purchases from 4.44 billion to around 3.6 billion. Now, the pace of net issuance, in other words, the pace of gross issuance minus the pace of BOE purchases, is probably the most critical number for gilts. One of the main reasons why we're bullish gilts over 2020, it was because of that low level of net issuance. So the BOE reducing the pace of purchases creates a significant factor that sends net issuance actually higher. We expect the announcement to have more of a move uh, and more of an implication on, on, on the level of yields rather than the slope. We find that views and positions towards bear steepeners, those views, we find them a bit crowded and we find them also very, very risky, very consensual, very easy, very straightforward. So uh, we've got some doubts with regards to that. However, we think that a reduction in net buying will actually be supportive for higher yields across the curve, and specifically the 10-year part of the curve. So we find that 10-year part can lead in the sell-off, so the curve uh, can and should actually bow out. So let's talk about other implications and other positioning ideas that somebody can have. Um, We think the front of the curve uh, is still at very low levels. So uh, we we think that paying those front and forwards uh, offers value. Um, For example, we find um, those two-year, one-year, 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 those forwards at the very front end of the curve to be particularly low. This is not directly related to tapering itself, but is is, is related to, you know, a central bank that... um, along with tapering, strikes an optimistic tone, in which case we need to price in higher front-end rates. Other things that we want to emphasize are, um, you know, break-evens and and the whole story with uh, inflation in the UK. And we've seen that inflation overall has been very much supported. However, 
once the slowdown of guilt purchases take place, and we talk about a market where the demand for fixed income becomes substantially smaller, and mind that the Bank of England is a significant player of demand right now, so once that demand becomes smaller, the compression that we've seen across yields and also real yields, that, uh, that, that, that compression is getting weaker. In other words, you should expect both conventional yields higher, but also real yields higher. And in fact, in some cases, we can expect break-evens in the UK to suffer, especially if we take into consideration that we are in a year that it will be heavily supplied in the inflation link world. So you touched on this a little bit, but I just want to take a, a step back. I mean, it, the, the potential tapering doesn't seem like that much. So why does buying a little less bonds matter? I mean, yes, it's small on the supply demand standpoint, but you know, why would that why do you think that could really move the market so much more at this point? I think it is it, it is very important how the BOE behaves. And the BOE has been the dedicated buyer the price insensitive buyer of gilts. Once you have such a buyer in the market, you become very hesitant to fade, to fight the central bank, you can say. So once the buyer becomes weaker, or you know, once the, the threat of being caught short becomes weaker, then obviously there is a stronger case for investors to be you know, short the market. The other point is the way that all those buybacks have behaved. And in fact, we've seen that in many cases, the BOE had to, uh, to provide and, and had to offer, uh, you know, prices that were higher than the market snapped in order to get those bonds. So in many cases, the BOE had to actually reach out and become more aggressive to, to go and find those guilds. But to the extent that the BOE just buys less, it will be easier to get filled to, to find those portions. So in general, the support for yield becomes smaller. The other point is that, and this is a very UK specific uh, point, is that in the UK, a, a third of the purchases happens in bonds that are longer than 20 years. So the back end of the curve is very well supported from central bank buying. And to the extent that the support goes weaker, overall support for duration becomes weaker. So this is something very UK specific. And definitely, this is why a change and a slowdown in the purchases has got implications for the entire curve. We start from the back end, but also for, you know, the 10-year sector and the very front end. Okay. Thanks for that, Theo. Now I'm going to bring in Paul Robson, again, our head of G10FX in London. So that's the rate market reaction um, when it comes to gilts. And what do you think the... Um, what do you think the FX market reaction? What's your views on sterling in the near term? And then, you know, also just a little further out. Well, I think in terms of uh, the currency, we're actually going to, that's announcement from the, the Bank of England is going to come at a time when you have quite a lot of other uh, event risk. You have to remember that uh, on the same day, we have the Scottish uh, national elections. We've got uh, local uh, elections. We've got a, a by election. Those, those kind of things wouldn't necessarily uh, move the needle on sterling sentiment, but uh, the fact that you've got maybe a slightly fluid political situation developing here in the UK, I think, you know, event risk is the, the main driver for the currency over the, the short term. Uh, in terms of the, the Bank of England and the taper decision, um, I, I think having listened to Theo there, it, it seems like it's going to be a bigger uh, impact on the gilt market that is on, on sterling because it is... It, by nature, 
uh, a technical uh, adjustment. Uh, that said, I mean, it could have easily have been the case where you keep asset purchases at the sort of same rate and you make an announcement at um, some later point. So it is a, an inflection point in terms of monetary policy, and they, those are important uh, for the, the currency. Uh, where it does play more positive for uh, sterling, I think, is just the overall, um, overall tone uh, around the Bank of England decision, more confidence uh, about the uh, outlook. And uh, one of the things that we've been stressing for the past sort of six months or so is this um, idea that relative growth matters for currencies. And the UK is going to enjoy uh, really strong rates of growth. And I think that'd be reflected uh, in the, the Bank of England decision. But as I say, it is the beginning of the end of the, the crisis uh, policy uh, response. And the the central banks that find it possible to go at the beginning, uh, I think ultimately uh, their currencies are, are rewarded. Uh, away from sterling, when we think about short-term markets, uh, you know, my, I just keep coming back to this idea of just Goldilocks. You know, once I wouldn't say once in a generation because this kind of major events with policy responses seem to come round every sort of five or, or, or ten years, but. You know, we've, we've got a situation where global growth is going to be strong. You've got super accommodative monetary policy. You've got very supportive fiscal policy. Uh, so we think that that's going to support sort of higher beta uh, currencies and uh, weigh uh, on the, the dollar. So we think over the short term, uh, if we can get through some of the near term event risk in terms of the Scottish uh, national elections, then we think sterling recovers against the dollar. But also that will be a sort of broader uh, weaker uh, dollar environment. Okay, thanks, Paul. You actually touched on a few things that I'm going to come back to later when you talk about higher beta and um, and risk. Uh, so I'm not going to let you go yet. But um, I'm going to switch now from contributor, to, I'm sorry, from host to contributor a bit. So assuming we get the Bank of England right, I think when we look at the US and the Federal Reserve, it's going to bring heightened focus on who's next. And you know, when you look at the major central banks, that naturally is going to fall towards the Fed. Now, just to set the table as a baseline, we think the Fed doesn't begin tapering, in fact, until the first quarter of 2022. But the Fed very much likes to have a lot of forward signaling. They want the event to be a non-event. So they, I think they'll start to have this discussion starting in the fall of this year. So let's just call that September. And in markets being forward looking as they are, or potential with their August Jackson Hole Symposium perhaps being somewhat related to this. Um, we think the market, my original thought was that the markets were gonna start thinking about, you know, Fed tapering this summer and how the Fed's gonna communicate that. But with the Bank of England, if they taper next week, it could raise that prospect of that discussion being moved up a little bit. Do I think that it's going to be severe impact on markets? No. But similar to Theo, as, as markets start to forward price events, um, we think it will have an upward pressure on the U.S. Treasury market. Now, it's not like the first quarter where we had more severe moves. And I think Theo would pro probably agree when it comes to the U.K. It's We're not going to see, you know, tens and tens and tens and tens of basis points. I mean, there's still lots, there's still room for yields to rise for sure. But also similar to Theo, you know, we think it actually moves a little bit in the curve. It's, it, it's, it is, you know, 10-year yields should move higher, but the, the, the pressure point, the pain point, um, is one where we actually think it's more kind of in that five-year area. And I say that because the beginning of tapering starts the beginning of thoughts about when the central bank, in this case, the Fed, may start to raise rates. 
So if you don't start tapering until 2023, for example, you don't have to worry about rate hikes for at least 24, 25. If you start tapering in 22, market participants will start to think about, okay, well, what does that mean for 2023? Now, we don't see Fed rate hikes before 2023 at this point, but that doesn't mean the market won't need to price in some probability that the Fed could raise rates sometime in you know 2023 or perhaps earlier. So it's based on that view that we think that you know some upward pressure in yields could arise, but it's more of um, an evolution of higher yields rather than you know a revolutionary snap change. So you know we definitely think that yields in the U.S. Um, have been stable. Paul mentioned Goldilocks. It definitely has that has definitely contributed. Um, so, but, you know, this upward pressure on yields, I don't think necessarily disturbs some of that more positive outlook when it comes to that, just the, the strong growth um, and that positive outlook that, you know, he has certainly for some higher beta that's tied to higher beta currencies tied to, you know, stronger growth, because we are talking about starting to discuss a taper that the Fed's going to discuss in the fall and maybe enact early next year. Um, Okay, so now I am actually going to go right back to Paul. So now we've added the Fed view to the Bank of England view, which is relatively similar, right? We, we do see yields rising. Um, we do think the tape brings to be a conversation, a little less, a co- little less monetary accommodation, perhaps looking forward. Um, switching the focus just from sterling more to a broader dollar focus. Uh, does this change your view or how does this impact your view? Just kind of on the broad dollar outlook. Yeah, in terms of the the dollar, we don't think the sort of pre-positioning of a taper and then the actual first taper uh, really is going to support the the dollar uh, significantly. Um, I did say when I was talking about sterling, you know, it's not necessarily to be underestimated. It is the inflection point of policy. It is the beginning of the end. But I I think uh, the way that you describe it in terms of uh, supporting risk assets. We, you know, crucially, we don't think this is 2013. I'll go into that in a little bit more detail in a, a minute. Um, and so as long as risk assets uh, hold up, we wouldn't expect a, a sharp correction uh, in the, the, the dollar. Um, I think there's just a couple of um, points that are worth uh, mentioning here. One is that um, the overall level of yields is going to set, is going to remain extremely low. That short-end rates, the policy rate where, you know, that's going to be the, the anchor is going to be uh, low for some considerable time. And that will um, certainly make the, the carryover high, um, high carry, high yielding emerging market uh, currency still uh, relatively uh, attractive. And of course, you've got to remember why the Fed feels comfortable uh, making that pre-announcement of a taper or the the taper is because the US economy is strong, domestic demand uh, is strong. Now, for a lot of currencies, that would be positive. But when it comes to the, the dollar, um, the US will suck in imports, you'll get a, a deterioration in, in net trade. And it's not obvious that the current level of yields or you know, the, the cheapness of uh, US assets is enough to offset that in terms of a balance of payments uh, move. So you get a, a deterioration in net trade that's not offset by uh, portfolio flows until maybe the Fed actually starts um, raising uh, the, the policy rate. Uh, there'll be other countries that benefit from that. Uh, and that's why we, we favour the sort of high yielders, the commodity based uh, currencies, the uh, Asia's manufacturers, uh, for um, example. Uh, other points to, to note is that 
you know, back in 2013, where you got some quite noticeable uh, dollar volatility, qu quantitative easing asset purchases was just all new. We had, we had very little idea about uh, asset purchase uh, programs, um, let alone what an exit or taper would be. And that caused quite a lot of volatility. So the dollar initially uh, weakened uh, on Bernanke's sort of pre-positioning taper. It then bounced on the taper and uh, softer risk markets. But ultimately, Bernanke pushed back and the dollar um, went uh, low again. I, I think you just jumped through that initial volatility. And that as long as the communication is correct uh, from the Fed, then uh, we think that the dollar stays weak and risk assets do relatively well. But your, the way you articulated the view on risk assets aren't undermined from tapering, I, I think ultimately that's, that's the key call and the key uncertainty. I like how you put that, that the markets are going to go through that. And it will, the uncertainty from 13, we're just going to kind of skip through that early volatility and probably just go right to the conclusion. So, um, you know, it's, it's pretty clear you and I are pretty much aligned on, on, on that subject. So um, appreciate that. OK, so now I'm going to bring in uh, what is often seen as perhaps the slowest central bank to pull back on accommodation, the ECB. Um, Giles, there's an impression that uh, Lagarde will address the latest increase in purchases. They've actually actually kicked up purchases in the first quarter, but address that at, at the June meeting and the potential future for that step up in purchases. So, so it's not quite a taper. I mean, you could argue it perhaps technically is from the higher level of purchases, but even just going back to where they were. Do you think they pull that back in June? And if they do, I mean, do we even consider that a taper? Yeah, well, I, first of all, I do think that they will pull that back in June. I, I think they, they've been very careful not to project that. Um, they always are. They never want to prejudge what they, they do ahead of time. But I think it's a fairly reasonable assumption that if things progress as we pretty solidly expect. And you know, we've just been looking at some of the, the COVID vaccination um, trends. I mean, Germany managed to do a, a, over a million people yesterday. So, you know, this really is picking up um, pretty, pretty significantly. And we've had some decent data this week as well. You know, I mean, I think, you know, unless something entirely unexpected knocks us off the recovery path, then they should be stepping back down to something more like the pace that they were uh, that they were conducting purchases at in in Q1 um, yeah, from well so from from July onwards. Now, is that you know, should that be considered a taper? Well, you know, I think really the question is, you know, what kind of path are we on towards ending the the PEP? All right, and you know, I think that that will be you know, reducing the, the this current sort of surge level of purchases will be the first step that will allow markets to go, okay, now I can see that we are on a trajectory which allows PEP to, um, you know, notwithstanding other you know, sort of unexpected shocks and so on, that ends first quarter of next year. And then I think that there's a serious discussion which will happen over the summer in markets and will, in my mind, you know, <laughs> from, from this distance, um, it'll culminate with a discussion that will you know, around the uh, ECB's strategy review at this, uh, which we expect to be at the central conference and um, at the end of September. Okay, so considering all that, what's your view here for Bunds and then also for, you know, periphery or Italy and Spain and, you know, the, the peripheral fixed income markets? 
So that is um, evolving as we speak. In fact, um, we are going to we're, we're going back pretty pretty firmly in a, in the bearish direction for for bullions. So you know, the history here: we started off the year very bearish and. No, actually, sort of took that and went the other way um, with sort of moderate conviction after the the ECB in March. But when they said we're going to, you know, we're going to buy a lot more bonds, you no, know, that 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 seemed like a reasonable decision, especially considering that it came on the back of, um, you know, I guess, a correction that we we're expecting, but was more violent and earlier in the year than we than we thought. This month, you know, in spite of the the force of the flows, we've actually seen fixed income in in, in Europe do, do do pretty pretty poorly, to be honest with you. I mean, it's you know, yeah, looking over the whole of the month, bonds have been you know, clearly going down, not you know, particularly aggressively, but they've been going in that direction, which show just shows that in spite of what the ECB has been doing, there is. There are a lot of people who, you know, big holders, uh, who are willing to to supply the ECB. And you know, the context here. I mean, the ECB really did pick up after uh, after Easter. They picked up from something like a month, a weekly pace of, you know, well, say, say three weeks over three weeks, something like sort of seventy billion up to one hundred and ten billion. So it was really, it was a big pickup. Uh, I think that the this willingness to supply the ECB will continue. And I think that as the market's conviction that the ECB in any case is going to pull back, I think that we can now see a way to, um, to, to, to a much more convincing bear trend. As for periphery, I mean, you would expect that, of course, you know, less protection from the ECB would be a little bit negative. And you know, that's certainly the way that markets seem to have been want, wanting to trade over the last few weeks. Now, I think that 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 has to be weighed against a more optimistic view of the uh, of the European economy, and you know, so I think you know, the taper goes hand in hand with confidence in the recovery, and I think that it's the confidence in the recovery which dominates your view on periphery. Okay, thanks for that, Giles. One thing that I just want to kind of reiterate here, we've we've touched on it throughout the podcast, especially Paul and I, um, before we sign off, is that when the word taper arises, it often sparks concern of interest rates rising quickly, introducing weakness into risk assets, namely equities. It's usually not associated with particularly pleasant things. Um, but as you can probably tell, we don't think this is necessarily going to be the market reaction as we head through this week, um, the Bank of England and towards the Fed taper over the next couple of months. And just to, to summarize some of the points, We've already had an upward adjustment in yields in the first quarter, which did bring with it a fair amount of volatility. Part of that was based on upward move in expectations for growth and inflation, which is itself implying that central bank accommodation might not necessarily be as needed as feared. Um, second, that growth, strong growth outlook itself is actually is the tailwind for risk assets. And this is kind of what Paul was getting at and equities in the face of what could be slightly less accommodation. So, and the third thing, which we didn't bring up though, is that we still have very, very strong fiscal uh, accommodation. There's a lot of fiscal policy impetus in the pipeline. And in past tapering episodes, you know, that is something that actually was often working the other direction, you know, where fiscal authorities were actually doing austerity and, and not helping um, the growth outlook. So while we do think this process can bring higher yields, we're bearish in the US, UK, and you know, um, we think European bond yields over time are gonna move higher. 
Uh, don't think it's going to be a disruptive process like we saw in the first quarter or we've seen in the past. So we do. Th- I do think there's going to be periods of increased volatility, especially around some of these events. I'm not saying that the Bank of England, if they decide to taper, won't cause introduce volatility to the markets. But over the longer term, we're still very optimistic on the outlook, on the growth outlook, um, and that's going to provide enough of a tailwind for riskier assets that over, over a broader period of time, even though you have perhaps a little bit more market volatility, um, we still think those assets are going to perform. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. That's all for today. And let's see if this excitement kicks off with the Bank of England. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of On Point. Please do subscribe to our podcast channel to get future episodes and navigate to ci.natwest.com for the latest updates on what's moving markets. We also encourage you to follow us on social media to get all of our latest content. Speak to you again soon. Thank you.